Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. So I'm going to share several things that I think will help us to kind of put all this in perspective. Because tonight, I want to make sure that we affirm the things that God wants to affirm in our lives. Because once again, it's about who we are and whose we are. That's an important thing that I want you to remember tonight. It's who we are and whose we are. And it's about affirming the things of God in our lives. I guess the best way I could start off in sharing is about investigative journalism. Those of you who are not familiar with that, investigative journalism is people who are in journalism or in the news or whatever the different outlets that they're part of, TV or even in the papers. And what they do is they follow leads to stories that are breaking stories that have significant impact in the world. And the interesting part about investigative journalism is that there are always opposition. Why? Because you are going to be digging up facts and situations that deals with things that people don't want dug up or exposed. And so what happens is that now you are entering into uh, the world of evil, the world of abuses, the world of people who make money off on other people's weaknesses and things that are abhorrent that we should not be supporting in any way. And something that I always tell people, and you've heard this phrase before, is that whenever their situation, always follow the money. The money trail, it's, it's true for uh, companies, it's even true for churches, it's true for any organization. A lot of times you, if you follow the money and you realize that sometimes there are a lot of stuff that goes on that's not honoring to God or in the worldly sense, it's just not something that is beneficial. And so I don't know if you've heard of these two stories, there are so many, but I just picked two that are pretty famous or well-known, some of you are not going to even know, then as I mentioned before, I will always give my soapbox talk, open up the newspaper or your web browser and always turn to the news. You should watch it at least once a day. Some of us do it four or five times. It's like the five pillars of prayer that Muslims do. I do it five, five times. You know, I'm doing it in the morning, afternoon, late afternoon, evening, and before. So you got to make sure you check up on the news because there's things happening in the States or on the West, and there are things that are happening right here in Asia. So you should be keeping up with much as good, because that helps you to pray. It helps you to know what's going on in this world. It gives you a burden and a heart for the things that break God's heart and the things that God is burdened with. Well, with that being said, the two stories I want to give you, the first one is the story of Daphne Karuna Ghazali. I don't know if you've heard of her. Uh, if you could just put a picture here. She was the investigative journalist from Malta. And as you know, some of you heard of Panama Papers. Can I get an amen if you've heard of Panama Papers? Those of you who are not familiar with the Panama Papers is that there was 11.5 uh, 11. million documents that were leaked. Those of you who are a little bit nerdy, that's 2.6 terabyte of data. 2.6 terabytes of data detailing the financial information of close to 214,000 
offshore bank accounts back in April 2016. These papers contain personal financial information on wealthy people, and many were public officials, prime ministers. There was a brother-in-law of President Xi. I mean, we're talking about some of the movers and shakers. It will destroy them with these offshore accounts. And those of you who are not familiar, as she was investigating this leak that was given by this whistleblower who found the documents, as she began to pursue it, there were threats. There were threats upon her life. We will kill you if you continue to do this. Here she is trying to expose the truth, but the closer she got to the truth, the greater the intensity of threats of violence, of death. And as some of you are familiar, this is what happened to her. There was an explosion in her car. It was riding on this road. It was so big, it threw the car off the road. And it was incinerated, and she died. This is what happens. When you're trying to expose the truth, the people who are evil, who do not want to be exposed, where they have a lot to gain and benefit from, they will do everything possible to destroy you. Here's another example. Some of you are more familiar with him. This is Jeffrey Epstein. And some of you know him because there's something on Netflix. Some of you guys would not have known him unless it was Netflix, which is very sad. Go repent. Go watch the news. He was in the finance industry. He hung out with very powerful people. And it was later discovered that he ran pretty much a sex ring off this island where there were very powerful and famous people who participated in having sex with underage women, which is against the law. Especially in the United States. There are some countries that are so okay with it. And the problem was, Epstein, what he ended up doing was that in many of his different apartments and in this island, he had these pinhole cameras planted in some of the most intimate places in his, in his house, in his property. So in the bedroom, in the bathroom, where there were a lot of drug use, a lot of sex. And because of that, all these famous people who visit that island or who went to his mansion in New York, they were filmed. So what was alleged and what slowly began to come out was that he had film, footage, videos of some of these incredible, powerful people who ran countries and who literally ran different institutions that he had them on film having sex and doing drugs. And he held on to them in a safe for blackmail or for favors. If they would not do it, he was going to expose it. As you know, he was then uh, arrested, and he was charged with procuring prostitutes who are underage, which is against the law in the United States. And as he was awaiting his trial, he was in a prison. And many of you know the story, that it was in that time where he allegedly committed suicide, and this was a prison in Manhattan, in the city. 
It just happened that the time where he committed suicide, the cameras broke. It just happened that he was left alone for X amount of hours when he should have been under 24-hour suicide watch. So I don't know about you, and I don't know about you and your conspiracy theories, but I'm a very suspicious guy. And I'm thinking something smells really bad here. And it's not durian. It smells really bad. Because once again, this would have exposed some of the most powerful elite people who ran countries and institutions, who was one of them is a prince to a, a certain nation. And so what happens now is if they get exposed, they're going down, their reputation is down, so they will do everything possible to cover the truth. Why am I sharing this? I'm like, what is he talking about? I think there's a similar comparison as I was alluding to, hopefully you caught it, when it comes to spiritual warfare. Satan loves to put God's children in bondage and in the prison of his darkness. And so as we're engaging in this 50 days of freedom, Satan is upset at the fact that people will experience freedom and no longer be bought into the lies and the deceit. So literally, he's going to get exposed. Therefore, he is after us and God's people in order to cause havoc and also to put us in fear and in discouragement. And I think this is where many of us are. As soon as you are at a point of discouragement and a fear and just wanting to give up, he has you exactly where he wants you and he doesn't have to worry about you. And I think one of the biggest areas that I see all the time with so many people, even in my conversations, as I'm counseling through different issues, I think one of the biggest issues is just different areas of sin, and one in particular of sexual sin. If there's any sin that literally disables a Christian for living for God, it's a sexual sin. Whether it's pornography, whether some of you are involved in a weird, illicit kind of activity, it could be online. Some of you who are engaged even physically with a relationship with someone and you are sinning before God, I'm telling you right now, if there's anything that Satan will use and can use to discourage and making people feel worthless and not wanting to try and to love God, it is just one area. John Piper, as many of you know him, he was speaking at the 2007 Passion Conference in Atlanta, and he preached a sermon. Check this out. This is the title of his sermon. How to deal with the guilt of sexual failure for the glory of Christ and his global cause. Yep, that was the title. I want you to listen to a portion of what he said as he started off the sermon. And I'm sharing this because I think just even me praying and trying to ask God what it is that you need to hear tonight so that it will lead us into prayer. This thought came to my mind, and as I was thinking about this, I realized this, this is something that I think many of us can understand and relate to. He says this as he gave his sermon. 
the tragic number of young people like many of you who are at one point in their lives dreamed of radical obedience to Jesus and were joyfully willing to lay down their lives and sacrifice anything to make Jesus known among the nations, but then faded away into useless prosperity because of a gnawing sense of unworthiness and the guilt over sexual failure that gradually gave way to spiritual powerlessness and the dead-end dream of the middle-class security and comfort. In other words, so many young people were being lost in the cause of Christ's mission because they were not taught how to deal with the guilt of sexual failure. The problem is not just how not to fail. The problem is how to deal with failure so that it doesn't sweep you away into a whole life of wasted, middle-class mediocrity with no impact for Christ. What he's touching upon is that so many of in this room have been taught or encouraged not to fail. So when you don't fail, you get proud, you think you're great, which you're not. But then many of us who do fail, we just don't know how to get out of the situation. And there's lies that Satan speaks to us to make you literally incapacitated where you cannot do anything. And he has exactly where he wants you. You're discouraged. You, you just kind of feel like you're stuck. You're depressed. You're defeated. You have no motivation. You're complacent. You're hearted in your heart. You're cynical of yourself and other people. This is exactly where Satan wants you. That's why we will set up for a middle-class or upper-class life in comfort and a wasteless life that just kind of literally gets wasted away and we forget there was a higher calling upon our lives. This is where Satan's winning, right here. And he's using the discouragements and the feelings of unworthiness to put Christ's followers, all of us, on the sidelines so that we will not engage in the will of God and we just end up setting, settling for mediocrity. I think this is the reason why Jesus gave these bold words in John chapter 10, verse 10. I want to read it from the New Living Translation. It says this. It says, and I want you to read the yellow part with me. It says, the what? The thief's purpose. So I want you to understand that is his purpose. <laughs> Some of you are like, I don't have a purpose. Well, Satan has a purpose, so you should have a purpose too, maybe to go against him, all right? The thief's purpose is to steal and to kill and destroy. My purpose, as Jesus says, this is his purpose for us, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. And please, some of you are like, I ain't rich. Okay, he's not talking about money rich. This fullness of life, abundance of life. Let's read the voice translation. I want to highlight certain things for you. The thief approaches with what? Malicious intent. There is an intent. He wants to destroy you. He has a desire. He has a purpose, as we talked about. Looking to steal, slaughter, and destroy, I came to give life with joy and abundance. Listen to the Amplified Version. It says, the thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may what? Have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full 
till it overflows. That's God's heart for you. That's God's heart for me. He wants us to enjoy life in its fullness. And anything that comes against it, that is the work of Satan. That is his intent. Maliciously, he come against you, and that is his purpose. And this is why, as I mentioned earlier, the, next, the last two weeks and for the next six weeks coming up of this 50 Days of Freedom, we want to remember who we are and whose we are. There was a popular kid's story that helps illustrate this concept of who we are and whose we are. Some of you might have heard it growing up as a kid. It's a famous story. I want to read it for you. And I think this is where we really need to grasp it and internalize it. The story goes like this. A boy built a toy boat, set its sails, and scratched his name onto the bottom and took his treasure to a river to sail. In an unfortunate moment, in an unfortunate moment, the boat drifted out of the boy's reach and floated away into the distance. A month later, as he walked through town, past the discount store's window, he spotted his boat propped near the glass. Overjoyed, he went inside. Hey, mister, that's my boat in the window. I lost it on the river. See, it has my mark, my name, on the bottom, the boy said to the store manager behind the counter. Someone brought that in a few days ago, and I bought it from him. I'm sorry, but if you want the boat, you have to pay for it. You have to pay $10. This is what the manager said. The boy ran back home and gathered the money that he had earned from small jobs, and he carefully saved them, and he returned to the store where he brought, bought back the boat. As he clutched the boat to his chest and ran his finger along the bright paint, he said, you are twice mine, first when I made you, and then when I bought you. I want you to just think about this story famous children's story. It says, you are twice mine. You were mine when I first created you and I made you. And now you're mine second time when I have to buy you and purchase you. That's a story about our lives. God created us. We are his. But we got lost in sin. And Satan has ravished us. So he had to send his son, Jesus Christ, to come on this earth to live a perfect life that you and I could not live. And then he died on the cross as he suffered on the way to the cross, and then he suffered on the cross so that he could ransom us and purchase us back to the Father. We are twice gods. That he created us and loved us, and now he purchased us on the cross. I think for many of us, it's so easy to forget who we are and whose we are. And if we're going to fight the spiritual battles and win, then we need to know who we are and whose we are. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to share with you some thoughts of things that we have to affirm in our lives. And please, as I'm going over this, either write it down or try to memorize it because these are the things that you're going to use with one another as you pray for each other. 
And so it'll be very helpful if you want to write down the verse so that later on you can read it and then you could speak it forth to each other. And hopefully many of us can grow through this understanding. One of the things that we talked a lot about is that if we fail to understand our identity in Christ, then what's going to happen is that we are going to forget who God is. And once you forget who God is, you will forget who you are in Christ. This is why some of us keep on wondering to ourselves, does God love me? Is he disappointed at me? Does God even care? Has he forgotten about me? Those types of questions of sense of lostness, not knowing who you are, oftentimes it is rooted in not knowing who God is. And when you don't know who God is, you cannot understand who you are. But the more you understand who you are, the more you will understand who God is. And the more you understand who God is, the more you will understand who you are. Romans chapter 8, verse 15 through 16, it says this in the New Living Translation. I want you to read these parts in yellow. It says this, if you have not received, or so you have not received a spirit that makes you what? Fearful slaves. Slaves in this context, understanding that you're in bondage and we're fearful. That's the work of Satan. Instead, you received God's spirit when he what? Adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to what? Affirm that we are God's children. I want, I want, I want everyone to say affirm. This is what we're going to try to remember tonight. So here are the things that we should affirm about God in our lives. The first is this, the greatness of God. God's greatness, in his, he is great in his essence compared to anything or anyone else in this world. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 22, it says this, Therefore you are great, O Lord God, for there is what none like you, no one like you. That's why he's great because there is no one like him, and there is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our years. We have to remember that God's greatness is also tied in with his power. That's why in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11, it says this, Yours, O Lord, is what? Come on, say this. The greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. One of the things you have to affirm to strengthen your identity and to know more who God is, is you got to be able to affirm the greatness of God. The second thing is this. It's not only the greatness of God, but the goodness of God. Psalm 145, verse 5 through 9 on the glorious splendor of your majesty and, of, and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud for your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and bounding in steadfast love. The Lord is, come on, say this, good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. The goodness of God, clearly, over and over again, we see that as a theme throughout Scripture. Even in the badness of human beings, the goodness of God prevails. Psalm 30, 
1, verse 19 in the New Living Translation, it says this, How great is the goodness you have stored up for those who fear you. You what? What does he do? He lavishes it on those who come to you for protection, blessing them before the watching world. The goodness of God that he stores up for us, to those who will humble themselves and turn to God. If there's anything that Satan can do to hinder your identity and understanding of who God is, is to attack the goodness of God. I've seen this time and time again in my own life and many, many people that I have counseled. Listen to what A.W. Pink in his book, Our Accountability of God, he, he writes it perfectly in what I'm trying to communicate. Listen to what he says. He says this, Satan is ever seeking to inject that poison into our hearts to distrust God's goodness, especially in connection with his commandments. That is why, or that is what really lies behind all evil, lusting and disobedience, a discontent with our position and portion, a craving from something which God has wisely withheld from us. Reject any suggestion that God is unduly severe with you. Resist with the utmost abhorrence anything that causes you to doubt God's love and his loving kindness towards you. Allow nothing to make you question the Father's love for his child. See, this is the thing that Satan uses in your life to attack you, to begin to question who you are and who God is. He makes you think that God is withholding something from you that he is not good. You got to reject it. This is one area you will see, like, God, if you're so good, then why are you allowing this to happen? If you're so good, then why, can I, why aren't you providing this for me? You got to believe that his, the Father, the Heavenly Father, loves us, his children, and that he is good. Number three, it's not only God's greatness and God's goodness, but we must affirm the grace of God. The grace of God has nothing to do with you and everything to do with God. This is the reason why many of you in this room reject the grace of God. You reject to give it, and you, you reject to receive it because you cannot fully understand it. Once again, I want to make this clear. The grace of God has nothing to do with you and everything to do with God. That's why in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, the famous passage about the grace of God, it says what? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. The grace of God has nothing, it has nothing to do with you, but everything to do with God. Now, it is through this understanding of God's grace that fuels all that we do. See, let me just really quickly pause here. The reason why so many of you react and respond in a certain way is because it is clear you do not understand the grace of God. So whenever we hear complaints, whenever we try to do things that is our own strength and we fail, we make a mistake or we struggle, then it's easy to blame God, blame other people. That is a person who has not understood the grace of God. That's a little counseling tip for you for the future when you talk with people. Because when you understand the grace of God, you realize it has nothing to do with me. I don't deserve anything. But here's God who is working in your life, even though you do not see him because he is great, he is good, and the grace is all over you because that is what he does. 
Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. I'm going to read from the ESV, and you will get a little glimpse of what I'm trying to say. It says this, but by what? Come on, say this. The grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me. So it's not something that we try to gain, but it's his grace towards us here was not in vain. On the contrary, I what? It says worked harder than any of them, referring to the other apostles and other people who claim that they're following Christ, though it was not I, but what? The grace of God that is within me. The thing that I want you to understand is that everything that he did and everything that he was doing was because of the grace of God. That's why he can go through 40 lashes minus one. That's why he can go through shipwrecks and then almost in famine and almost about to die, but he still loved God and worshiped him and served him and preached the gospel. Why? Because he understood the grace of God. If you understand the grace of God, then this is no sacrifice. I will gladly serve him. I will gladly lay down my life. But as soon as you feel entitled, as soon as you feel like God owes me something or these people owe me something, then you have forgotten the grace of God because now you're making everything about you and nothing about God. But once again, the grace of God is nothing about you and everything about God. Lastly, well, the last one, the greatness of God, the goodness of God, the grace of God, and we have to affirm the glory of God. Psalm 27, verse 7 through 10. I'm going to read this. You just shout out that phrase in yellow, all right? Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, ancient doors. Then the king of glory will come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. There is no one who shares the glory with God. He alone is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So we open up the doors. We open up our hearts. We open up our lives to the King of glory so that he may enter in. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, verse 31, as many of you know. So now that everything we do, if it's all about God, it's about his glory. So whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, do it all for the glory of God. We have to affirm these four things about who God is into our lives so that we can understand who we are. And that's what we're going to do tonight. Can I just give you a couple things as practical, kind of follow through? Let's, let's do this so we can affirm who we are and whose we are, not only in my life, but in my life group, all of you. And I pray that these will be commitments that you will make not just for these 50 days, for, but for the rest of your life. If you really want to find freedom and you want to live in freedom, these are things you have to implement into your life. So I'm just going to simply use the word affirm. These are the six things you need to affirm into your life, practically do, so that you will know who you are and whose you are. The A is simply this. You have to align your feelings with fact. Don't raise your hand because I don't want to embarrass. How many of you guys are feelers? Now, I love feelers because, you know, they can get excited. You can go, boom, and they're like, yes, Lord. And, then, you know, they feel the presence of God. I don't know. And that's great. We love feelers in this room. 
you know, you're, you're, you're wonderfully and fearfully made. How wonderful are your works, O Lord? You know, you, you are wonderfully and fearfully made. But can I just say this to you? You know what your problem is? Your whole life is about feelings, and there are a lot of times you feel something, but it's not true. Are you with me? Some of you might feel like she likes you, but then when you approach her, she says, no, that is a fact. She does not like you. Okay, let's go home now. Bye. <laughs> Drop that mic and out of here. It's true. It is true. There are many of you who think that you feel something, but the reality is completely different. So every single time you trust your feelings, I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to be disappointed if it is not true. Now, if she does like you back, then that's beautiful because your feeling and the facts are together. I'm sharing this because if you do not align what you're feeling with facts, then you cannot affirm who you are and whose you are. Why is that? Because there are a lot of times you feel like you suck. There are a lot of times you feel like you're unworthy. There's a lot of times you feel like God can never love you. There are a lot of times when you feel like, man, no one cares for me. There's a lot of times when you feel things that you don't want to feel. So you have to combat that or line, align it with truth, with facts. That's why here's a diagram we, we, we talked about and we're going to talk about in the weeks to come. It's this whole diagram of fruit to root and go from root to fruit. A lot of times when we talk about fruit to root, you're looking at what are some of the fruits of your life. You see anger, a temper, you get anxious, you get depressed. Those are all fruits of something that brings those things out. And so that's why you have to be able to ask yourself, who am I? What does the Bible, what, what am I feeling and what does the Bible say? And then who God is, who is he? The king of glory. He is good. He is gracious. He is great. And from that understanding, now you get into the root of it. And then as you know who God is, then you know who you are. If he's the king, then you are a prince or a princess. You are part of an heir to a kingdom. That's why I keep on saying, I do, I, I do not believe Christians should have low self-esteem. If you really understand the gospel... I'm not talking about cockiness or whatever it is, but you should be able to be confident no matter who you are, where you are, what you are doing, you should be confident in Jesus Christ because you serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You're answerable to him, not to your boss, not to your parents, not to all these other people. Ultimately, it's going to be to God. That's why those of you who are people pleasers, you don't understand what I'm saying, who God is, because if he's that great, that you would not go out of your way to please this one person because God is greater. I want to please him. From there, you will now have the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control because against all things, there is no law. You will start producing these types of fruits. So align your feelings with facts. So if you're feeling something, but the Bible, the fact says you're something different, then you got to be able to believe that in faith. So that's one of the things you got to do if you're going to affirm who you are and whose you are. The second thing is this. So we got the A, and then the F is focus on the deceit, not the action. See, once again, the problem is for many of us, we focus so much on the actions. 
oh God, I messed up. Oh God, I did this. You're focused. So what do you do? I try not to do this. I'm going to try to do this more. So your, your behavior modifying, and it doesn't change the heart. Behavior modification does not change the heart. So what is it that we need? We need to focus on what is the deceit? Where am I believing in this lie? What is this thing that Satan's trying to deceive me with? What is that apple he's wanting me to eat? To somehow believe it's true when it's not. So for instance, that here's another diagram that we're going to use in the weeks to come. And it is this tree. And we always talk about this. So it's similar to the previous one, but I want you to understand the different components. What happens is that we look at all the different things that are happening. That Those are the leaves. So if you look at the leaves, these are the behaviors. So those of you who are constantly manipulative, those of you who are constantly making excuses, those of you, and there are people who are like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Those, those people who are constantly apologetic, those are all behavioral things. Those of you who are very rebellious, those are, these are things that you are doing. So that's the leaf that everyone sees. Man, that person is always angry. Oh, that person is always like insecure. Those are the leaves that everyone sees. Some of you think, no one can see me. No one can see me. Yes, they can. Because they gotta go. And those are the leaves. Excuse me, I don't know why I just did that. But anyway, you know what I'm talking about. I was trying to, I was trying to be like a tree, but that didn't work, okay? It looked kind of weird. Okay, anyway, the leaves. The leaves are the behaviors. But you know that that's not the thing that causes those things. And so then we get to the branches. What are the branches? These are the strongholds. These are the things of lies that you have believed in. That's why it produces the leaves, the behaviors. Because there's some kind of stronghold in your life that Satan is using to put you in prison. It could be a negative thought. It could be a certain way of doing things. That's the stronghold that we have to ask God to break in our lives. And lastly, it, where does these leaves come from? It's from these branches, and these branches then feed into the leaves. But where do the branches grow from? It is from the roots. It is the point of origin. Do you know why you can't trust? Because when you were eight years old, you were sexually molested by your cousin. Someone sinned against you. In that point of origin, it built a stronghold. Why is it that you're always so negative? Because the point of origin is you have a mom that constantly told you you're not good enough. Even if he did a good job, she would never praise you. That's a point of hurt. She sinned against you in that way, so it became a stronghold. You don't think you're good enough for anything, and that's why you're constantly insecure, or you're a people pleaser. So here you are trying to focus on the leaves. It has nothing to do with the leaves. And there's a, maybe the branches. Well, yeah, it's part of it because it's a stronghold, but what it really comes down to is what is the point of origin? Why do you have such an insatiable desire to be successful? as if that's going to make you happy, and you know it's not. You talk to so many successful people. They're the ones on the drugs. They're the ones doing all this stuff because they, they, they're numbing their hearts. Because there was a point 
where you almost, your family almost went on the streets. And because of that experience, it created that moment, a point of origin. And so you believe that you, you don't know if you're going to survive. And if you were a Christian back then, you didn't believe that God was good to provide for you. And that's why it becomes a stronghold. And that's why it leads to cynicism or trusting in yourself. So once again, if you do not align your feelings with facts, you're not going to be able to affirm who you are and whose you are. If you focus on the behavior rather than focusing on the deceit, you're not going to know who you are and whose you are. That's why it's vital that we understand what the lie is and then pray against that in faith. The third thing is this, the other F, A-F-F. The F is what? Fill your life with positive influences. I, I'm not going to even talk too much about it. You know what those things are, whether it's the things that you see, the things you watch. And I would say this, some of your friends and people you hang out with, some of them are the worst influences in your life. I'm sorry to say that, but that's just bluntly. Or some of you guys have some weak friendships, some, some bad friendships that you call friends, but they're not your friends. They're using you. If they're your friends, they will tell you things that you don't want to hear. If they're your friends, they will do things to sacrifice because they're considering you. It's not about them. It's about, it's about how they can love you and serve you. And same with you, that it's about loving them and serving them. Some of you right now, you're filling your life with some negative influences. And that's why you're constantly bombarded with thoughts and ideas that are lies and deceit. And that's why you cannot set yourself free on your own. You need the power of God. So the A is align your feelings with facts. The F is focus on the deceit, not the actions. The other F is fill your life with positive influences. And the I is intercede with declarative prayers. One of the ways to know who you are and whose you are is when you begin to pray and intercede with declarative prayers. What are declarative prayers? Declarative prayers, I believe. I pronounce. I declare. Your word says, therefore, I. Those are declarative prayers. As I said before, sometimes you can understand a person's theology through their prayers. Lord, if you want to, if you want to. Oh, the Lord just loves putting, seeing you in bondage. He just loves you, you know, just doing nothing. It's not if he wants it, he wants to. That is the wrong type of, that is not a declarative prayer. So when a person is struggling with their identity, they're struggling with low self-esteem, if I'm going to pray a declarative prayer over them and over my life, I will say something like, I declare that I am wonderfully and fearfully made. Can I get a good amen to that? Or you look at them straight in the eye. I know it's going to be awkward and say, I, I, I believe. Because the word of God says, you are wonderfully and fearfully made. When you start saying declarative prayers, things start breaking in the spiritual realm. And things start opening. And whatever has put you in bondage of these lies, God breaks them because these prayers are spoken in faith and it begins to impact people's lives. So intercede with declarative prayers, not only for yourself, 
but usually where the power is when you actually pray for somebody else. When you pray declarative prayers for somebody else, it literally breaks some of the strongholds. There is power in words. We'll talk about that in several weeks. The, the words have power. The fourth thing is this, rally a team to fight together. Do you guys have a team? Amen? Do you have a tribe? Do you have a gang? Do you have, you know, whatever you want to call it? Our married men, we have, we're the wingmen. You need a wingman. Someone who gets your back. Hey, man, when you get older, it's going to get more cheesy, okay? <laughs> you don't think I can hear you, huh? Sometimes when you get older, you get more, it's harder to hear. But then we switch into this Holy Spirit mode, and then he speaks to us, all right? So. Don't forget that. Things get more cheesier as you get older, all right? Where am I? Yeah. Rally a team together. This is how you're going to fight the battles. Because many times you cannot fight it on your own. But when you have people surrounding you, praying for you. There's power in that. And lastly, is marinate your mind on Scripture. To marinate your mind on Scripture. To chew on it. Think about it. Rewrite it down somewhere. Speak it. Pray it. Let your mind saturate. Those of you who love cooking, you do not put purgogi, which is the Korean beef, without some kind of acidic fruit because then it doesn't soften the meat. But you marinate it in soy sauce, sugar, and many other things, and you put like a kiwi or like an apple, or you put something in there, and then let, let it do a thing. Let it do a thing right there. And then you put it on that grill. The longer you marinate it, the sweeter and the better tasting it is. Some of you guys like cold drinks, cold Coca-Cola, I don't know, cold beer, whatever it is. When you buy it off and you take it home, it's hot. And so you try to put it in the freezer, try to cool it. And it's only 10 minutes. What happens? It's still warm, okay? There's a hack for that, but talk to me later. But this is the thing. But you let it sit there for a longer time. It's colder and refreshing. You guys got to learn how to marinate and let it saturate sit there and begin to behold who the king of glory is and that's when you're going to be able to understand who you are and whose you are let's stand together shall we we're going to spend the rest of the time in worship and in prayer turn to someone next to you and say we're going to pray tonight i'm going to pray with you and we're going to pray tonight amen Can I, can I ask us, let's just bow our heads for a moment, close our eyes. You, you could just, let's just stand in his presence. And if I were to ask you, who are you?
what would you say? And if I were to say, what is your name? Many of us will say, well, my name is so-and-so. That's why names are important, because it's tied into identity. So the question is, who are you? What is your name? And you'll see this later as we talk about deliverance. That's why when you're in deliverance prayer, you speak to that spirit and say, who are you? Because there's identity. You identify that so you could cast it out. So who are you and what is your name? I pray that we will be able to say to ourselves and say it out loud if we need to. I'm the child of the king. And my name is adopted, loved, forgiven, bought, purchased by God, set free. The more you know who you are, because whose you are, when you know whose you are, what happens is that you will begin to see your life that might have been in bondage. You're going to start seeing the prison doors open and all you have to do is step out. You are a child of the king. You are loved by this God where his love is unconditional. And sometimes I just wish that so many of us, and even sometimes in my worst days, to really believe these things that God says. And if I could genuinely believe it, and if all of us in this room can genuinely believe it, not just in our heads, but believe it in our hearts, oh, we will live so differently. When you know that you are forgiven, you live differently. When you know you're loved, when you know that you are adopted into God's family, you will live differently. Because you know who you are and whose you are. I'm going to ask us just right now, just think about those four things that I mentioned, the things that we have to affirm about God. The greatness of God, the goodness of God, the grace of God, and the glory of God. You could just pick one, you could pick a couple, but right where you are in this space, and also right where you are in the place of your own spiritual journey, what is it that you have to affirm? in your life of who God is? Are some of you struggling to really believe that God is powerful enough? Then we have to affirm his greatness. Are some of you struggling to really believe that God is good, even in the midst of what you're going through, that you tonight you have to affirm the goodness of God? Maybe some of us have been trying and we keep on failing and we just really come to the end of our ropes Maybe what you need to affirm is the grace of God. It has nothing to do with me and everything to do with God.
Maybe some of you are self-centered and you're living for yourself. Maybe you could just focus your eyes on the glory of God. How awesome, how big and mighty and majestic he is. Greater than anything else in this world. And you see his glory because that's what happened even to the prophet Isaiah. He saw the glory of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty who was and is and is to come. And he saw the glory of God. He realized, I'm a wretched person, a man of unclean lips, living amongst people with unclean lips. Maybe that's what it is. That's going to lead us to repentance when we see the glory of God. So at this moment, I just want to encourage us to focus on one or two of these things that I just mentioned, of these four. And just start asking God, reveal those things to me right now. Show me who you are so that I will know who I am. Come Holy Spirit. Minister to our hearts. Speak to us. Affirm the things that need to be affirmed in us. As you're getting a glimpse of those things, can I just encourage us just to then open your mouths and some of you will just start praising God, thanking God. Some of you might have to repent. Some of you will just cry out and say, God, I need more of you. But as you're focusing on him, let's just open our mouths and just start declaring things of who we are and whose we are. And let's believe it by faith. Can we just do that right now? Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.